Well, I don't know what your jam is, I don't know what your thought is, but that song puts you in the mood for summer, doesn't it? You're like, some of you are just like, all right. Some of you are like, Pastor Chris, don't ever do that again. I'm all right with that. It's all good. Hey, one of the things I know that in the summer of 1998, in the middle of it all, I was here in Rapid City, and I was an intern at a church in Rapid City, and I was a part of something that I believe God was calling me to, and my Girlfriend at the time, my soon-to-be wife, Rachel, was in Pine Cove Christian Camp down in Tyler, Texas. And we spent a lot of that time that summer writing letters to each other. That's right, pen to paper, envelopes, stamps, a whole nine yards, right? And it was awesome. Like, I loved writing. I, you know what? I'll sh- no, I won't share any with you right now. Like, Rachel and I spent time reading the other night. I'm like, man, I was super cheesy back in the day. I miss you. Hello, this is awesome. And, and in the middle of it, maybe you've had those moments, right? But for us, it was the only line of communication that we had that summer, other than a 10-minute conversation that we could have on Sunday mornings. And Sunday morning was a precious time for me, but all throughout the week, I was thinking like, man, if I wrote her a letter right now, this would be awesome. Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going on. And, and it was just a lot of fun finding those letters, reading them, and being reminded that over the last 21 years, God's taken us on an adventure, and it's been pretty amazing to watch. And so as we dive in to the book of Philippians for our summer series of Joyride, we want to encourage you to do a couple things. We want to encourage you to be here. Maybe invite someone as you're in town, or if you have friends come in, say, hey, we'll go to the lake, or we'll go to Rushmore. Just come to church with us this weekend. It'll be fun. The second thing is we'd love to invite you to dive in to Philippians. Maybe you have your Bible. Maybe you haven't chosen yet to just dive into you version and get on that. We would love to encourage you to take time to read through Philippians with us as we go by the verses, as we go through the different chapters and the moments of this story, of this letter. And that's exactly what it is. We find Paul writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And that's what we're going to dive into tonight as we, as we have this moment, as we have this time right now. I want to encourage you, and maybe that's you in the book of Philippians chapter 1, dive in and take time to read it. So we find Paul in the midst of this, and maybe you don't know who Paul is. Maybe you haven't taken time to read about him, but he was one of the most ardent enthusiasts against, against Christianity. He spent a lot of time persecuting Christians persecuting the people that followed this Jesus message. And then one day, on a trip to Damascus to go ahead and persecute people, God met him on that road. And in the middle of that moment, his life was changed. And there was a flip in who he was. And he went after it. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he's, he's starting churches. He's encouraging Christians. He is a part of everything that he was against for such a, a long time. And then, as quickly as it had started and he had dove in, he found himself in prison. Let that soak in for a moment. Notoriety, prestige, power, and suddenly it was gone. And he was in prison. And his whole world has been turned upside down. Like, listen, I've never been to prison. I've been to, to RCMU to visit the guys there. I've visited some guys in prison and had conversations. And maybe that's been your experience over the course of it all, right? But, but there are some things that I believe that might be familiar across the board. Maybe you had that. Maybe you had power. Maybe you had prestige. You had that job you always wanted. You had the house you always wanted. Something happened in the midst of it all, and everything changed. And then everything was gone. Slowly, 
you felt like things got taken away and the things that were there that you held on to, that you cling to, no longer were things that you could grasp and you, left, you were left scrambling. Or maybe you moved to a new town, maybe you moved to Rapid City and, and, and it just didn't go like you thought. You didn't connect with people like you had where you were. You find yourself alone, you find yourself finding yourself just in a place of being secluded in the midst of that. And everything became different. And so I think that, that I see something out of this. That in the middle of this, present circumstances can obstruct our view. Present circumstances can obstruct our view. And, and things could have gone crazily different for Paul, right? But he found himself there in the midst of this, in prison, by himself. Like he wasn't just in like a general population sense. It says that he was by himself chained to independent guards that were with him all the time. Now he could have people come visit him and, and, and bring correspondence and share with him and share for his needs. But, but outside of that, when they were gone, they were with Paul. And I can imagine like a lot of things, there's a likeness of being alone and being just weary and being tired and wondering what the next step was going to be like in the midst of life. And for Paul, he had a decision to make because he could have felt easily like, God, is this really, is this really how it's going to go? Like, you're going to put me in this place right now. And, and I've been working so hard to make it work. And now, now that I'm in jail, who's going to take my place? All this for naught. Now, now what's going to happen to the churches? Now who's going to encourage people? And Paul had a decision to make. So my question for you might be, how's your view right now? How's your view right now on a lot of things? Because what I know about you and about me is that so many times in the midst of life, we don't gravitate towards the healthy, right? We don't gravitate towards those moments of like, yeah, joy-filled things. All right, let's think about those. We gravitate towards those selfish things. We gravitate towards negative things that take us from places where we might be really good. And, and if life gets a hold of us and life doesn't go the way we want, we find ourselves going, okay, maybe it's not as great as I thought it was. And now I'm wondering what's going to happen next. And now I don't know what the next step is going to be. And God is continually calling us to a place of saying, okay, would you, would you walk this out with me? But, but maybe it's a lot like TV shows. One of the things I know is that maybe you've found this as you've watched television or movies, like there's always that one character that, that something takes place in the midst of the show. And then the next thing you know, they're somewhere off by themselves. You know, they're eating a bucket of ice cream or they've got a bag of Oreos or a bag of chips and they're drowning their sorrows and they're trying to make it better by doing this. And they put themselves in a place of loneliness and that place of isolation that says, well, if I stay here long enough, eventually it's just gonna roll over and it's gonna get better. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? And for us, I, I think the internet gives us enough ammunition in the midst of life to really add to the problem. Because if you think about it, like, Facebook can take us to places. Binge watching on Netflix, finding things on Amazon to buy. Like I don't, for me, there's a, there's a website called Steep and Cheap. It's got outdoor stuff. And I'm like, I can spend time just on that and going like, okay. And we hope that, that if we can focus on those things that will somehow bring us to a place where we can get out of that funk and we can move on and we can say, okay, here we go. We're gonna get there eventually. But it never turns out like that. It never brings us back to the place where we want to be. So I believe this is true. 
obstructed views don't have to derail us from where God wants to take us. So we can have hope that, that this, this is true. But the problem is there's obstructed views all around us. And we can find things to derail and, and focus in on. And I think so many times if we're not careful, we do. We find ourselves looking at this or looking at something like this or a situation. And life is going on around us. And we wonder how it's going to get better. If I look at this long enough, if I focus in on this, then, then everything will work itself out. And, and it doesn't. And I think there comes a place where we have to, we have to walk away literally set this aside and focus on something new or invite somebody in to help and bring us to a place of understanding something, maybe in a different way. And I, I've had a lot of conversations lately where people look at me and say, listen, I don't receive help well. But yet we have people that are around us and they may say, hey, are you doing all right? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's gonna be okay. And we tell them, no, it's, it's gonna be okay. And, and I really don't think we can we can say nobody's there for us because we eventually get to the place where I guess I'm in this alone, right? And we're in this alone, but yet we've had a half a dozen to a dozen, at least even one person come to us and say, I'm, I'm here to help. We have to get over that stigma that we have to carry this alone or that we're going to have to let it just kind of work its way out and really begin to engage something in a different way. And Paul's letters I believe do that. They help us to engage something in a different way. And he was trying to do that in the midst of sharing this letter with the church to Philippi. So we're going to look at that. We're going to dive into Philippians 1, and we're going to start. This is just a standard greeting. Uh, like, like, so my standard greeting for Rachel and me, like, hey, how are you doing? How are things going, right? Maybe that's yours, or I've been thinking about you for a lot, and, and, or whatever the case is going on, how you open your letter. This is how Paul opened his letter. So in the midst of this, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. So Timothy had obviously brings, brought some correspondence, and they're there at the moment. Slaves of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So in the midst of all this, here's what I know. If our circumstances don't change, then our view has to. Like, what if Paul had opened the letters like, guys, this is miserable. It's Paul again. Um, I'm in jail. You haven't sent me any money. Your, your Christmas present was late, and it wasn't great. Um, I don't know what to do. I'm still here. I'm not getting out anytime soon. And, and you're just kind of shaking your head going, that sounds like a miserable letter, right? Imagine if I had done that to like Rachel, like, hey, I miss you. I wish I could see you. This... This stinks being in South Dakota, and you're in Texas. I don't know what's going to happen. She would get like, like, I've had enough of that. I'm done with the letters, right? She's not going to write back. She's going to be like, hey, thanks for trying. You're a really stinky letter writer. Let's move on from this. If our circumstances don't change, then our view has to. And in the midst of all that, Paul wrestled with some things that I think are, are essential for us to wrestle with. So his circumstances weren't changing anytime soon. And he had to make a choice that life was going to go on in a certain way and a certain way of engaging people that he was writing letters to. Can you imagine if Paul had not written letters until he got out of jail? Like, hey, I just don't have the energy or the time to write letters right now. It's just kind of taxing. I'm, I mean, I'm looking at my chains and it's tough. We wouldn't have had the New Testament. 
you imagine what the believers would have thought? They've been waiting for Paul to encourage, and, and Paul was encouraging even in the midst of jail. Even though his circumstances weren't changing, Paul was straightforward and was living in such a way that was able to offer encouragement. He had made a decision that even as though his circumstances weren't changing, he was going to, to move forward. And that was powerful for us because we don't think anything is going to change because our circumstances don't. Like I think you and I have all had those moments, right? Where our circumstances don't change fast enough. We've tried some things. We've done some things different. And we were waiting, waiting, waiting for that circumstance to change. And we come to a place of saying, all right, I'm going to give up. If something doesn't happen tomorrow, I'm done. Like, if something doesn't change now, I'm walking away from this. And we put this ultimatum in the situation that, that says, I'm not willing to wait for this. I'm, I'm not willing to believe that, that God's actually going to do something. He's not going to work something out the way I want, and I need it done now. And we look at our society and we say, if this doesn't happen fast enough, I really don't have time, and I've got to figure this out on my own. But something has to change in the midst of it all, and I believe joy is the key. And fixing our eyes on Jesus is the key to joy. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is the key to joy. I was challenged the other day was something uh, called object constancy. And uh, maybe you have heard about object constancy. Uh, it's just the reality of right here, to be fixed on something that keeps us focused on a certain mindset. You ever seen a kid and a parent or an adult play peekaboo, right? You're like, everybody's having fun, it's a good time, there's smiles, and then suddenly the adult says, I'm gonna cover my face. And the kid's like freaking out. They're like, where did the face go? This is nuts. He made the face disappear. And then they move their hands, right? And their worry and their, their, their strife all of a sudden changes back to joy because the face has suddenly disappeared, reappeared. And I think so many times in the midst of our situations of life, we look at God, nothing's changing, and we had been looking at God and fixing our eyes on God, and then it felt like God put his hands in front of his face and he disappeared, and nothing changed. And we didn't know what was going on. And this idea of object constancy seemed just foreign because I was keeping my eyes on Jesus. Things were going well, and now they're not. What's going on? I don't think object constancy is, is something that's new, but whether we admit it or not, it's affected us in a lot of ways. And I think Paul could have had object constancy had he not been careful because he could have been like, I'm focused on you, Jesus. This is great. Oh, man, look at those chains. Oh, man, this is miserable. There's, guard, there's guards by me. I don't have the freedom that I want. God, what are you doing? Are you working? You told me I was going to do some really cool stuff. But getting our eyes focused back on Jesus, and object constancy isn't something new. Scripture talks about it. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is key. It brings a shift to our focus that even though we may not see him working at that moment, we may not see the things that we want, we still continue to fix our eyes on Jesus because as believers, as followers of Jesus, that's what he calls us to do. That no matter what's going on, no matter what's taking place, he's inviting us to fix our eyes on him. And he gives us the most perfect example. If you read on, it says, the pioneer perfecter of our faith, 
So he's got it perfect. We don't have it perfect. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he knew there was joy on the other side of the cross. He knew there was joy to be had, but he had to endure the cross. Hear me when I say this. So many of us are sabotaging what God wants for us because we're not willing to walk through the tough thing. Because on the other side of that sorrow, there's joy. On the other side of that mountain that we don't believe that we can get past, we've lost sight of fixing our eyes on the one that invites us into that. And I think it's vital for us in the midst of that. Many of us, though, have been desperately trying to change our circumstances in our own strength, and we are exhausted taking our eyes off Jesus, trying to do in our own strength, and we're literally exhausted with life right now. And we're wondering, okay, I gave that Jesus thing a try. I don't know if I can do it anymore. But there's some things I think that Paul still wants to teach us as we dive into Philippians a little bit more. Every time I think of you, he says, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming the truth of the good news. What Paul shows us, I believe right here, is that joy helps us to transcend our present circumstances. Joy helps us transcend our present circumstances. Most of us are aware of what is required for joy. Most of us are aware of what is required for joy. We think about it, we're like, okay, if I do this, if I can get there. But yet in the midst of the hard work, in the midst of the energy towards it, we get to a place maybe where we say, I don't know if this is worth it. Trust me, it's worth it. And Paul shares with us, I think, five things that, that help us with joy and are required for joy. Choosing joy requires the first one, victory over thoughts. Every time I think of you, Paul says, man, he's practicing what he's preaching. Every time I think of you. So there's a, a consistency in the way in which he thinks about people. There's a consistency in the way in which he engages his thoughts. Victory over thoughts isn't just, hey, let's just think good thoughts today. No, that means we're consistently reminding ourselves of the good things of God, of the things that he requires and desires for us to walk justly, to love mercy, to be humble. Victory over thoughts means consistently engaging the things that come through our brain and allow us to engage life in a way of saying, okay, I know this is going to be effort, it's going to be energy. But man, it's going to be worth it. So I'm going to have victory over thoughts. I've got to be intentional with the things that I think and the things that I bring in and put in my mind. Another thing, focusing on others. This is difficult. In the midst of life, when life is tough for us and life is really stretching us and putting us in a place of like, let's see if you can handle this. You really want me to focus on other people? But I believe it's one of the keys to really seeing God work in our life in a way that, that will bring us to joy. 
Because even in the midst of, of what is going on in your life, if you can focus on other people and you can find the, the desire and the energy to, to serve them or to, to come alongside them or to be in the midst of their lives, I think it's a powerful way. And it's so true with what Paul was doing. His life was crazy. But his thoughts, his attention, his focus was always on those that were in the churches that he had started and been a part of encouraging believers and of seeing God work in a really powerful way. Serving people, loving on people, writing notes of encouragement, coming alongside somebody and just giving of your time and saying, hey, how's it going? What can I do for you? Oh, you've got crazy things going on. Yeah, I know that's all right. You need it. I need it. It's a powerful tool focusing on others. The next one is prayer. We just came through a prayer series. There's nothing more beneficial, I believe, than choosing joy, than praying and have a conversation with God, asking God to help you, asking God to work in you, asking God to fill you, and having that constant conversation with God. Paul says it. Every time I think of you, I pray, I give thanks, I make my requests about what's going on in your life and, and believing that God's going to work something in you. And it's powerful and it's really cool. And I'm excited about what God is doing, even in some of you right now in the midst of your prayer lives. As some of you have been rekindled with your prayer life or some of you have, have found new conversation with God in a really powerful way and are seeing God work in new ways in your life. And I'm excited about that and love praying for you, believing that God is going to do something in your life. The next one is letting God work. He says it, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Man, what an amazing promise for us. An amazing promise that God is gonna complete, but that means we have to let him work. We have to let him come through. We have to let him do what God does in the midst of hearts and lives of people. And it's such a powerful reminder when that happens. So I've been in ministry uh, just a little over 20 years now. And on Father's Day, I got a, a Facebook message from a former student out in Oregon, and he shared just some amazing thoughts that just kind of blew me away. Um, I was there two and a half years, and, and at times I wish it could have been longer. God did some really cool stuff in the midst of our lives there, and we got to be a part of some amazing students' lives and amazing people and in the midst of one of those relationships, he and I spent a lot of time together doing just different things from weightlifting to hanging out to going to sporting events. And, and obviously, as we moved away and came back to the Midwest, um, I had to trust that God was going to take it from there. And he had some things going on in his life, and he's continued to have some things. And he's not, he's not I don't think, where, where God would desire him to be in, in being following Jesus. But, but there are some things that are really powerful in his life. And he's got kids and he's married now. And, and I'm, my prayer is that every time he looks at his kids, he gets drawn more to Jesus. But he shared something with me. He said, listen, I know it's been a long time since we've been together. And it's been a long time since you've been here. But I need you to know that when you were here, you taught me a lot about being a man. And that blew me away. Because I didn't look at that time going, man, I'm going to teach him how to be a man. I I just wanted to be faithful to what God was calling me to do and allowing God to work. And so many times joy requires the work of God and we shortchange it and we don't let it happen. And we have to trust that, that whether in our life or in somebody else's life, he's got it. He's got it. He's got it. We just have to trust 
that he's going to do what he says, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And then last, sharing in all of life. This is not just sharing in those moments that are easy. This is not sharing in moments where like, hey, I'll let you see this part of my life, but I'm not going to let you see this part of my life. This is sharing in all of life. Paul was sharing from jail and sharing life that, hey, I'm here. Everybody knows that that God's at work in my life and that I'm doing the work that he's called me to do. But as you live life together, allow people to see the good things and the not so good things, those things that are challenging and those things that aren't so challenging. Because I believe we shortchange relationships sometimes. We shortchange joy when we don't let people in on everything. Because maybe they have something that they can share with us, or maybe they have something that they can bring to our relationship that would be so beneficial and could be powerful if we would only allow them in. There's a great quote that challenged me. This is a condensed version of it. Sorrow prepares for joy. It pulls up the rotten roots. Or as Southerners like to say it, roots. Okay, I say, yeah, roots. Anyway, sorrow prepares for joy. It pulls up the rotten roots. In the midst of our lives, we see this. And we're like, sorrow prepares us for joy. I, I just don't believe that. But, but if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to trust that there's something about that that's true. And I believe this quote is powerful because so many of us are focused on the reality of the rottenness that is in our life. And we're like, I just see that. I see those things that are taking place in my life and I don't know if anything's going to change. And God is like, listen, if you would trust that, that we just take that out, there's something that's going to grow there that's going to be powerful and it's going to be amazing. And I'm excited about what that's going to look like if you're willing to allow it to take form and take shape. And we're going to dive in a little bit further into the scripture. It says, God knows how much I love you and how long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I think what Paul wants to show us out of this is that joy ignites change. Joy ignites change. What a powerful thought, right? Joy igniting change. You're like, I'm in. I'm all in for this. Because I believe joy ignites change in us towards God. If we're really honest, if when we see God work and move in our lives, man, we're ready. Like when God moves, we're like, okay, let's go. I love it. I love what I'm seeing. You love me. You're involved in my life. You're excited about what's going on and you really want to see something take form and take shape. You're moving mountains. You're, you're parting waters, right? And we get excited. We're like, all right, let's do this. And what a powerful reminder that God is working something. He's going to work it until it's completed. And it's not going to be done until he comes back. And what a great reminder as Paul shares that with us. But it doesn't just ignite something in us towards God. It ignites something in us towards others. Because all of us have had people come into our life where joy is ignited in someone's life. And as soon as you meet them, you're like, whoa, you have two responses, right? Well, simmer down now. It's going to be all right. You're a little joyful. It's a little crazy. I get it. Or we go, how do you do it? 
How do you do How do you walk out joy? How do you walk out joy in a way that looks like this? That you're willing to do this and, and be a part of, of living this out in such a powerful way? Because some of the things that I know is because Paul's eyes were fixed on Jesus, he is a prime example of what he desires for us in the midst of this. And there are some things that I want to share out of that. He was focused on the love that he had for the people in Philippi. He was focused on the love for the people he had in Philippi. Even though in the midst of all of Paul's visits to Philippi, things didn't always go the way that he wanted them to go. Like he was beaten in Philippi. He was thrown in jail in Philippi. But as he shares, as he shares there, he goes, God knows how much I love you and I long with tender compassion of Christ. That even though all those things had happened, his love for them was such in a way that he was focused on what God was doing in them. And that was such a cool reminder. Because I think we need that. I think that in the midst of, of circumstances, he had a love for them. Another thing he focused on was, was their growing love more and more in knowledge and understanding. Their knowledge and understanding of his love. Now hear me when I say this. And I say this with all the love in my heart. Many of you are living on a faith that stopped a long time ago. And you're hoping that the faith that you acquired years back is going to carry you on to something new and powerful and awesome. And Paul, I believe, calls us to something that is really cool in the midst of all this. He says, listen, grow in knowledge and understanding of the God that loves you. And we've stopped and we're trying to face these things that are in front of us with the same power and faith. And listen, we have to reconnect and grow that faith and allow those things that, we're, that, that are getting in the way of us understanding God and coming to a place of trusting him again and trusting him with new fervor of saying, okay, God, work this, begin it again in me and allow me to see you like I know and, and allow my faith to grow that as these things come my way, I'm trusting you. I'm believing that you're going to do it. And I think it's powerful. It's a reminder for us to grow in knowledge and understanding. And so that would be my challenge that as we dive into Philippians, that you would read along with us and dive into what God's word says and what he has for us. I think as I've been doing that, it's just been powerful for me to be reminded of how God's word is powerful in my life and how he longs to encourage me and help me and grow me. Another thing he focused on, focusing on what really matters. Christ in them. Christ in them. Not what we do all the time, not the things we try to help people with, but literally Christ in them. I want to see Christ at work in you. I want to see Christ growing in you. I want to see people to notice what God is doing in you. And I think that just starts with a desire to grow, and, and, but it, it just starts with having that conversation and just being you with God and just not trying to do anything to impress him. He already loves you. He's already crazy about you. And he focused on bringing glory to God in all things. Bringing glory to God in all things. As you engage people, as you walk down the sidewalk, as you spend time with your families, as you're at work, in your dating relationships, at school. I know it's summer, but it's around the corner and it drives me crazy thinking about the fact that my girls will be in school here soon. In all things, how is God at work in our lives? How is he being seen? And is it something that we take seriously, allowing people to see him at work in us? 
Because I think it can be a powerful testimony of what he desires and what he longs to do for us and in us. So what's been sabotaging you? What's been keeping you and derailing you from walking out joy and living out joy in your life? There's a quote that has just been kicking my butt the last couple of weeks. We don't think ourselves into a new way of living. We live ourselves into a new way of thinking. And Richard Rohr says that. And in the midst of this quote, I think it's so true because so many times we think, if I think I could just change this or I'll think about changing that next or I'll do this when I get around to it. And we try to think all these things that we'll eventually get to. And this quote challenges me because it just says, listen, live ourselves in a new, new way. Just begin living it and allowing God's presence in and allowing him to work and allowing him to speak and we begin choosing things differently and we begin surrounding ourselves with different things and begin to see God at work. And then we say, wow, I began doing it and God began meeting me. Because I think we can waste a lot of time thinking about all those different things that bring us to a place where we had really great intentions of starting something. And I think our relationship with God is too valuable, far too valuable to just think about it but to begin to live in such a way where joy becomes a part of who we are. So Paul lived a life of joy regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the place that he found himself, which was in prison. He impacted churches. He impacted followers of Jesus. He called people to greater things. He desired to see something alive in them. And as we walk out this summer, my hope and my prayer is that you will bring joy along for the ride. Will you bring joy along for the ride? Because I believe that it will change the way in which you engage your summer. I believe it will engage the way you walk into fall. There are so many amazing benefits of bringing joy along for the ride. Yeah, you might get some different looks as you begin to live in a way that, that emulates joy, that shows joy for what God has. Your circumstances may not change right away, but we know that God is with us in our circumstances. And as we keep our eyes fixed on him, we can see him work in such a powerful way and do some great things in our life as we live this joy ride. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for Paul's letter to us here in Philippians. And I thank you that we can dive into your word and learn something about ourselves, but ultimately learn something about you and I love that Paul's words that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the way in which you help us to fix our eyes on you. I'm thankful for the way in which you lived out what you said, that you knew that the cross was necessary. You knew that was where it was going to end. And, and but the beauty of it is that that's where it ended. There was joy on the other side of it. And that, that helped us know what forgiveness in life was like because you conquered death and you allowed us to know that we could have forgiveness and we could have life and that we could live in such a way that we could show joy because we have a risen Savior. We could show joy because we have a victorious God. We could show joy because you call us to something greater than what the world desires. And when we live in such a way, we bring joy along for the ride and it impacts and it challenges the people that we come in contact with. Heavenly Father, help us. 
Help us in all these things to show people who you are. We ask this in your name. Amen.